This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey everyone, welcome to the Inspire to Fire podcast. My name is Chris and I'm your host and this is episode two of season two. So welcome back if you guys have been listening and if you guys are new to the show, this show is all about helping you reach financial independence and we do that by interviewing some amazing guests from the fire community, the personal finance community, and we just pick their brains on different things, different tactics that they've used to reach financial independence. So last week, we started the season with Tanya Hester, and she I thought that was an amazing episode. She went over her financial independence journey, but also what we can do to give back to the planet and to society. So if you haven't listened to that one yet, go ahead and check it out. And again, if you're new to the show, go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. But today, we're going to switch it up a bit, and we're going to talk to Jerry from The Millionaire Educator. And Jerry is someone who reached financial independence on a teacher's salary, and he also got off to a late start. So he actually started at net zero pretty much at the age of 33, and he still was able to reach financial independence again on a teacher's salary. So we're going to dive into that and exactly how he did it. But just a sneak peek, he had something called magic money in his back pocket, and uh, we're going to go ahead and get into that in the show. But it might not be what you think. So you might be thinking, oh, this is a, this is, he had something. No, he, he was able to use something that all teachers actually might have access to. And it's kind of a secret weapon in terms of reaching financial independence just that much quicker. We're also going to discuss his seven pillars of FI. And lastly, he's also going to be talking to us about how he pretty much earned two years worth of college credits in a matter of a month or so. Um, and this is at a significantly discounted rate. And this is what he's doing with his son, actually, at, at, at this time. So I'm excited. There's a lot of strategies, as I mentioned, and tips and awesome advice that you can take from this episode. So I hope you enjoy it. So don't forget, again, subscribe, leave a review. I really appreciate it. Share the episodes with a friend. And uh, let's get into the uh, interview. So actually, before getting into the interview, Jerry and I had some technical difficulties at the beginning of the episode, so we weren't able to record his money story, and I think that's such an important part of the whole story, so I want to try to summarize it as best as I can, and then we'll jump back, uh, we'll jump into the episode directly, but just a little bit about his money story. Jerry and his wife are a retired teaching couple who recently worked at their dream job. In their early 30s, they had about $45,000 of student loan debt. So financially, it was an uphill battle ever since then. And along the way, they had many adventures, as he described it. They started a family, and they actually reached financial independence. So on their journey at the beginning of the financial independence journey, they began by teaching in Saudi Arabia in 1996. Jerry took a job teaching ESL, 
while Mrs. Millionaire Educator finished her MBA. Uh, he recently had finished his MBA, so he was eager to start earning money at that point. In his five years in Saudi, he was able to pay off their student loan debt and save about $100,000. So without a doubt, their time overseas helped them right their financial ship. And they took care of those student loans and also laid a solid financial foundation during that time. In December of 2001, he moved back to the U.S. and started looking for teaching jobs. Initially, they thought they would live and teach in Texas. However, things didn't go as planned, and eventually they found jobs in LaGrange, Georgia, where they lived for seven years. During that time, Jerry and his wife took advantage of 403B retirement accounts, as well as 457 accounts, which are available to many teachers, and uh, public service jobs as well. And they contributed the maximum to each and that helped them minimize their tax burden. So Jerry was able to use money from previous 457 plans to pay for their current expenses while contributing to their current retirement accounts. And this was a secret, or I guess uh, it's not so much a secret, but it is less known in the financial world that this is something that you can do to actually control your tax rate and choose which tax rate you'd like to pay. So that is a little bit about his money story, and then we go deeper into exactly how he did it and uh, so much more and his salary and everything. So thank you guys. I appreciate it. Again, we had some technical difficulties, but I thought that that was important to share. So now with that, we can go into the show. Hey, Jerry, welcome to the show. Hey, Chris, thanks for having me. I'm really looking forward to this. Awesome. Me too. So you go by the Millionaire Educator. And uh, I read a ton of your stuff on your blog. That's where actually I found you. And then I found you on other podcasts as well. And you talk a lot about the 457 plan and uh, free money, which we're going to get into hopefully as well. Uh, Year by year, you have that post. That's awesome. So before we get into some of those topics, though, if you wouldn't mind going a a little bit into your background and just giving the audience a, a little bit about who you are and, and uh, what you've been through and, you know, your FI journey, basically. Great. Um, well, as far as being a member of the FIRE community, I'm a little unusual in that I'm 58 years old. You know, generally it's among the, the young people, but I really uh, like the movement. Um, I started out as a teacher about age 27. I was kind of late to um, actually taking on a career. Prior to that, I was playing basketball and traveling. I played basketball in college at Davidson. Yeah, so I know that you, that was a lot to unpack, um, Jerry. That story was fantastic. I mean, I want to start a little bit towards the beginning. You were in debt and you decided you wanted to get out of that debt. That was before you found the fire movement, is that yeah, right? Yeah, we're, we're talking 1996 here and the fire movement was nothing. And I always tell everybody, I read a book around 96 called Cashing In on the American Dream, How to Retire at 35. So that kind of gave me some fire-like thinking in my head. But yeah, around then, uh, my wife owed $25,000 and I owed $20,000 for our graduate student loans. And, and you know, the first year I was making my payments, I think I put like my first payment, I did do like two whole checks on it. And I kind of got settled in my job and I wasn't in attack mode. But at some point, I think I was out buying a CD in Saudi Arabia, a Bosa Nova CD, and I was like, deliberating. Should I spend 15 bucks on this? 
And I thought to myself, hell, you know, you, your money's not even yours yet. You don't need to be spending money other than, you know, food and just, you know, getting over the hump. So I didn't buy that. And uh, I just started, you know, I would take a paycheck and squeeze it as long as I could. And then I would send checks in just like 3000 bucks at a time. I think I was making about 40000 a year then. So, you know, I knocked off mine. Then I started chipping away at my wife's and we got that done. But yeah, we were pretty maniacal about getting up to zero. Um, and I remember hitting zero feeling free again. Yeah. I mean, that is a huge milestone, especially for for a lot of people now. I mean, uh, that a lot of people who have 100K, 200K in student loans. Um, I remember the first time I hit zero, it was refreshing just to be back at square one, um, just to be broke, basically. Um, yeah, you're a free man again. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, once you hit zero, then you told me or you told us that you reached uh, about 100K in savings. Um, that takes some determination as well. What got you to that point to say, not just that you're a free person, debt free, but you're now going to start building wealth? Well, I did know that I needed some wealth if I was going to go and explore the world and, and do my thing in South America. So I really, you know, that, that book I, I mentioned earlier, the Paul Tearhorse book, it, it, I did realize I needed some assets and I needed to get those assets to work for me. So that my goal was at least 100000 I didn't realize that I was going to need a lot more probably. <laughs> but, you know, once I got that 100 you know, paying down the debt and then saving money and investing, they kind of go hand in hand. They both require discipline. It's just that now, instead of you taking money and sending it off, you're putting it on your side of the ledger, as I like to say. Um, yeah. And that really kind of just keeps building, you know, because when, you, when you're investing, you know, we've been through a long bull market here. There have been some, you know, a lot of peaks and valleys, but all in all, it's, it's gone up. But when you start seeing your money double and you realize that some years you make more off your investments than you did by your contributions, right? That's a great feeling. So definitely. Yeah. The, the surprise to me was I was able to do that stateside as a teacher because I, you know, that kind of went against the narrative we all live with. Right, right. And you definitely don't hear a lot of stories of millionaire teachers. Um, so you you're an outlier in that sense. And what I love about your story, too, is that you guys, like you said, you really started late considering a lot of these stories that you hear about the fire movement. People retire early at 30. Uh, or in their 20s. But what's amazing is even though you consider it late, you're still well bef- uh, well ahead of a traditional retirement path. And, um, you know, you've, you've made it years before that, before 65. So, that goes to show that it really, if you have that determination, you know what you're doing. You know, even if you're in your 30s in starting fresh, you can still uh, retire at a young age. Well, yeah. And in a lot of ways, I've, even though I wasn't retired those years working, say, let's say around 2014, I didn't need the job. I already had like well over about $700,000, $800,000 to my name. So that gives you a totally different outlook on any job you're in. And I actually remember the interview with the principal. He, he looked at my spotty resume and he's like, I just have to ask you, you know, how long will you stay? And I just said, two to three years. And he's like, I just admire your honesty. And I got hired, you know, because the beauty is that they always need Spanish teachers, it seems, you know, so. And he was looking for three at the time, and I was the first one he interviewed, so. (laughs) 
Yeah, it, it just gives you having money gives you not only options, it just changes your attitude about work. Um, you know, I've always known or I've known for getting on 10 years now that I could leave a job and take a break and just come back because, you know, they're always teaching jobs. Mm hmm. I mean, if I needed another one, I, we actually talked about taking some online jobs this year. My wife and I decided against it just because you lose your headspace and, you know, but those things are still out there. I see them all the time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it is uh, completely different working when you know that uh, you can or you have the option to step away if, if needed um, for family or for your, your own mental sanity. So... I'd love to now just talk a little bit about this 457 plan that you've used as a basically a secret weapon. I don't think a lot of people know about it. Maybe some people in the fire community. And this is something that I've used personally because of your content. This is something that I found at my employer. Not a lot of my colleagues knew about this plan. And so I actually started taking advantage and I was trying to tell everyone about it, but they just couldn't grasp the fact that this was an additional 401k or 4013b um so can you talk about that secret i guess weapon uh for teachers really that you can you can maximize about forty thousand forty one thousand dollars uh pre-tax is that right each year yeah i believe now I, and i'm older so uh what is it i think it's 26 with the catch-up contribution um, i think so let me just go back and say around 2010 starting about then, that's when I started doing both the 403B and the 457. And like you said, it just effectively doubled my contribution amounts. Then when I turned 50, I also got to do the catch-up contributions to both the 403B and the 457. So, you know, my wife and I, we've had, we've had many years where we say, well, over six figures, when you figure those two accounts, plus a, we use a traditional IRA and a health savings account. So uh, I think our big our biggest year was 2019. We saved 130 thousand dollars. That is incredible. That's insane. I know. And, and so that's pre tax mostly. Yeah, pre yes. I think that that 130 figure I threw like a thousand dollars in a mutual fund, so I could say that I did hit 130. <laughs> but but I mean I'm very weak on the the taxable brokerage accounts. I have like I think I have 450 dollars in that account right now. So I'm almost all pre-taxed. That's amazing. Your tax bills uh, must be non non-existent. Well, you've read that free money post, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. I encourage all the listeners to check out free money post. Um, you you do one every year, it seems, and it's it's fantastic. I love it. I get so many requests for that. If I'm late on it, because sometimes I'm waiting for the tax law to shake out, and I don't want to write something. It's just based on speculation. And it's, it shocks me when people are like, hey, where's the post? You know, like, patience, I'm waiting for this to come through. <laughs> but um, let me say one thing. I do a little different with the 457. Being that I'm a teacher, our 403B and 457 plans tend to be variable annuity products, and they have a lot of fees. So I don't invest in those products. I just park the money in a fixed account, like a you know mutual fund account, get my 2% and take, take my licks with inflation. But um when I separate services, when these two things happen, I move my 403B money to my traditional IRAs at Vanguard. And then two, now I can start drawing on that 457 money for living expenses. And that money comes in as taxable income, but I'm deciding how much money I'm going to pay in taxes by deciding how much 
how, many, how much I'll take in, in as income. Now, and I have rolled some of that magic money just to my traditional IRA at times, if I had a whole lot of money there. But full disclosure, I'm down to my last 26000 of magic money that I'm going to take that out in January. Okay. And that's going to get me to my 59 and a half, which will happen next, next June. That is perfect. Perfectly, uh, perfect distribution drawdown phase. I mean, uh, calculated yeah, that one. Great. Squeak, squeaking in there. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, you know, another thing that we have done that I don't see many people have done this, but um, around 2013, I started the 72T where I actually started taking IRA distributions. And I, I, I kind of, I looked online and figured out the calculation wasn't hard to do. I mean, I have an MBA, so I could follow an example and get my number. And uh, so my wife and I, every year, we've gotten about $18,000 and change to start the year. That's not a lot of money, but to have $18,000 hit your bank account, it's just a good tailwind in your your sale to start the year. So, um, you know, 59 and a half, I'll be able to access those other accounts that I have. And age 60, I get my teacher's pension. So yep, that, that sounds feel flush with money. Yes, exactly. That sounds great. And and so you're right. Not a lot of people discuss the 72T just because of how complicated it can be. Um, but to be clear, I think everything with the 72T distributions, do they, the end point is 59 and a half, right? Is that how it is? And then it turns Correct. into a regular uh, IRA or pre-tax bucket. Exactly. Okay. And I think what scares a lot of people is that you have to keep taking them to 59 and a half. I think you're allowed one change of your distribution formula, but it, it apparently has a lot of, uh, triggers a lot of back taxes on every distribution you've taken up to that. So I, truth be told, knowing what I know now, I probably wouldn't have done that. I probably just would have done Roth conversions and kind of taken, taken them that way with the five-year staggered. Uh, if you read Justin McCurry, Rudy Good, he has a good article explaining how he does that. But yeah, I, I can see why people don't want to do 72T and I wouldn't I wouldn't think they were crazy. Well, it's interesting that I've never met anybody who's done a 72T, but now that I'm thinking about it, it seems as though the risk gets uh, less and less. Uh, let's say you do a 72T in your 20s or your 30s, the risk is higher than doing it in your 40s or your 50s. So, does that sound about right? Yeah, I, I didn't really think of that because I had a big enough cash position that where I could just kind of pull out. And within that that IRA, I was just having dividends and capital gains paid to a money market mm-hmm. automatically. And if I thought I had too much money, I, then I would flip over and buy a few more shares in the VTSAX. So, I, I guess I learned a lot about managing distributions by doing that and kind of investing within right, pool right. of money. You know, the, uh, the district, it's weird because as fire people, we're, we're always, we're in the savings and distribution phase kind of simultaneously. And that's not, that's not traditional, um, like uh, retirement planning. No, no, not at all. Uh, it, and it, it seems like you've got a, uh, a nice mixture of a lot of different things. The 72T, you've got a couple 457 plans you can draw down. You've got income as well. So there's a lot there and you kind of can pick, uh, you know, basically your tax range, um, your, your wages for the year. You can do a lot of things there. Yeah. And I, and I guess I need to mention this. I, I will use my HELOC strategically 
to get me through a year. Like if I don't want to go past a certain amount of income, I'll use my HELOC to strategically get over that last, let's say last four to six weeks of a year. And the HELOC's a little dangerous, I, I find, you know, because uh, yeah, but it's a big pool of money. And uh, my first home, I, I probably wasn't very good with that, to be honest. I'm much better now. But yeah, I'm always trying to control my income level because it'll control my my tax bill, you know, keep it within check. Yeah, yeah. And it, and it definitely helps to embrace frugality uh, during that process. Yeah, you know, frugal living is one of my pillars of fire. You know, you got to got to have you got to have a nice lifestyle that doesn't cost you a lot of money. And we can always, yes, re- yes. you know, rev up our spending and, and get our lifestyle. But then that's just not sustainable. You know, that's a problem with a lot of people. They're not willing to tweak that. Right. And and I love your I thank you for bringing up the pillars of fire. So I want to get into that because it kind of brings us back to the roots, I think, of the fire movement. Uh, a lot of times we talk about increasing our income. And it's true, you can increase your income to an unlimited level. And it, it is an important factor. But I do like these seven pillars because it is, uh, you really can't go wrong with it, I should say. If you do apply these seven pillars, you're pretty set up for, for financial success. So, if you don't mind, maybe we can talk a little bit about a couple. We've talked about frugal living. Debt avoidance is another big one, I see. Yeah. I, I, I guess I, I have them listed and I have them weighted as well. And the one I have weighted the highest is just good old hardcore savings. To me, that's 30% of uh, the, the formula. Um, you know, you, you don't, you can earn a lot of money, but if you don't save it, you're right back where you started. And that's unfortunately where I see a lot of uh, people, friends, families, coworkers, acquaintances, and it's a little frustrating to me. But, you know, people, they've got to find their path. And but I would just always say, you know, hardcore savings. You know, the more you can save, the faster you can you can move down the uh, the fire path. Uh, and, and let me just say, as we probably uh, mentioned here, I've used my tax advantage accounts, 403B, 457, traditional IRAs and health savings accounts. That is an easy way to save. And it you're going to see it comes up in another pillar here. Uh, I'll link it here in a second. The other thing is debt avoidance. Just, I mean, I understand people have to have a mortgage. I understand that. Um, but if you're at a point in life where you don't have student loans and big car payments and credit card debt, I would just say, other than a mortgage, you know, avoid taking on lots of debt and lots of monthly payments because by themselves, they don't appear to be that significant. But when you start adding them up, they add up. And then two, when you factor in, your debt is paid with after tax dollars. So if you owe a, if you're going to have a hundred dollar payment, you need to factor in about one hundred thirty dollars of earned income. And that's some, there's a, a disconnect there for most people. So you know, debt avoidance has been key for us. When I didn't have any money, I didn't have debt. And when I started getting money, other than a mortgage, I never really I've never had a car payment. For example, just bought used cars and drove them for twelve years and things like that. Um, <laughs> Yeah, um, I, I like that. I'm I'm on the same boat as uh, I'm in the same uh, wagon as that. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and sometimes when you're putting a little money for a repair, you're like, oh god. But eventually, you'll know when it's time to get rid of it. It'll it'll just be too frequent. <laughs> the other, and, and I and like I said, I I put about a twenty percent weight to debt avoidance in my mind. So that's fifty percent of the equation right there. Um, income maximization, ten percent, and what I mean by that is, as a teacher. 
you know, I did. I never really had a side hustle uh, at home, but I did have a side hustle at school. Um, I did extended day, which meant I didn't have a planning period. I taught the 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 fourth. We we're on a block schedule. I taught four out of four every day, and uh, you know it was hard. But doing it both semesters paid me twenty five percent more. And seeing how I was putting that money in those retirement accounts, I knew where that effort was going. The other things I did is I coached basketball and cross country, and I've been in a, a JV soccer coach. Um, my wife is, you know, uh, sponsors clubs like um, TSA, is a, techno- a tech association. Um, I forget the acronym that she taught. <laughs> Sorry, honey. Um, but, you know, we're always <laughs> like, you know, if things, as a teacher, they always have side jobs they want you to do. And I would always tell a teacher, Take something you're familiar with because they're going to get you into something, you know. You don't want me doing SAT prep. or, But when you get those little pay bumps, you need to make them count. Um, I've also did my – I went beyond a master's degree. I did a specialist degree to earn a pay bump, uh, and my wife did as well. From that, we earned $12,000 more a year teaching the same job. Okay, so that's income maximization. Tax minimization is uh, my fourth pillar. You know – April 15th, you shouldn't be howling at the moon about how much you're paying in taxes. In our case, we've just used our tax advantage accounts to, to keep our income about the end of the 10% tax bracket. So many years I pay like, I don't know, $1,000 federal income tax um, consistently, but that's because I have a tax plan. Now, if I didn't do tax planning, I might be paying eight to 10000 a year. So you've got to have a tax plan to minimize your tax payment. Uh, the fifth pillar is prudent investing. You know, what that means is you got to know uh, how much you're gonna, your, your investments are costing you. End of the day, we use index funds. You know, we're VT, SAX people. Um, Fidelity and Schwab also have very good index choices at rock bottom cost. Those funds have been very useful for us to grow our wealth. And, you know, prudent investing meant that I would have to quit my job to get my money to those um, more cost-effective accounts because, I, as I mentioned, I had fee-bloated variable annuity products. And the, like the last thing here is frugal living is my sixth pillar. Um, we already talked about that. Just I think your previous guest, Paula Pan, has a good way of putting it. Mind the gap. Know what you're earning and know what you're spending and you want to grow your gap. Well, frugal living allows you to keep uh, a surplus. You know, If you earn $3,000 and you're living off $1,500, it's working, you know, but if you're earning three and you're spending 3500 it's not working. You've got to monitor that. <laughs> so frugal living to me means, you know, we, we bought a house in a low cost of living area. We paid $68,000 for our three, two brick ranch house. It's a great place. We love it. It's got a good school. We paid off our car. We have a Prius, so we don't spend a lot in gas. We eat out occasionally, but when we do, we might go for a lunch buffet. Um, you know, we cook at home. But we do, you know, those are your big three expenses. We we keep our phone bill and our internet bill in check, things like that. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm a little embarrassed to admit this. My wardrobe consists primarily of Costco and Sam's clothes at this point. <laughs> I look like a slap. No, there's no, <laughs> you do not have to be embarrassed about that. But uh, I think this part is interesting to to talk about the frugal living just real quick, because I know that sometimes it can get a bad rap. but we're not advocating here for any sort of, you know, for frugal limit to the extreme. Nobody's uh, asking you to, you know, 
do uh, the extreme stuff. You just whatever you're comfortable with. Is that right? Yeah, I, I am definitely not going to recycle napkins and and things like that. That's insane. <laughs> but it, it, frugality seems to have a bad name because people go to cheapskate real quick in their mind. But most people, if they saw me, they would have no right. idea that I'm frugal. Uh, let me mention right, one right. last thing I haven't talked about a lot. Um, well, uh, another pillar of fire I consider is uh, wealth multipliers, just things that make you feel wealthier. And um, I mentioned one already. I call it the lunch buffet circuit. You know, when you're not working and you can go to, like my wife, we went to this Mexican buffet in, in Valdosta this week. It was like $10 a person. It was really good. But if you're working or teaching, you, you can't even go do that. You know, it was really nice. It was $20 meal. So I like being living an off peak existence. You know, when I go to, I can go to Walmart at eight or nine in the morning and pick up stuff. And uh, it's just really nice going to swimming against the grain like that. And another thing I would mention under that bracket of wealth multipliers, I'm very big into travel hacking and building points. We're getting ready to take a trip this July to Ecuador and to Mexico. We're going to take the fall off and homeschool our son and let him work on his Spanish. But, you know, I'm not going to pay for those flights, you know, full freight. I'm using my points and I'll be end up paying probably, I don't know, all the trips, probably about a thousand dollars this summer. I can, I can, and it just nice. makes me feel wealthier. That's why I refer to these as wealth multipliers. And then the last thing I would say about that is just kind of honing your, your uh, routine, you know, with workouts and self study and things like that. I mean, you know, it's just nice having your day and doing what you want to do, but you have to kind of develop that. It just doesn't happen. You know, I use the 80 20 model. Right. You know, I do the, the 20 things that give me the most enjoyment or 20% of things that give me 80% of the enjoyment. So that's, those are my pillars. Yeah, I love them. Thank you for running through that. And the wealth multiplier, I'm glad you touched on that as well. Just to, you know, talk about that real quick. It, it does make a lot, a big difference, basically going to a happy hour, for example, and getting a great deal, enjoying some drinks and food at basically half price or traveling the world. And using your points and basically just paying the tax on those flights, uh, those are those are huge. And I actually never really thought about that, but just another part of the pillars that uh, everybody, I think, should be using. Well, my friends, they seem to think, and I don't know why, because I, I am kind of, I watch my money, obviously. They think I'm paying for these tickets. And I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. It'd be like 1500 <laughs> bucks each way to get them, or 1000 bucks. I, I'm just not going to do that. So... The, the, the travel rewards has really helped a lot. Yeah, yeah. And um, and yeah, I think we covered a lot there. And I, I, I just want to also mention one quick thing about the 457 before we move uh, past that is uh, you seem to use that 457 plan almost as an emergency fund as well. Is that right? Is, 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 can a 457 plan be used basically as an emergency fund? Well, Yes and no. No in the sense that until you quit your job, you're not going to be able to access that money without penalty. But in a worst case scenario and you lost your job, then that money would be there. And so that's why I always figured I, I never had an emergency fund once I started with that 457. Who am I kidding? I never had an emergency fund. I was flying by the seat of my pants. <laughs> but I always knew, you know, when I saw that get to 10, 15, 20,000 bucks, it's like, well, if something really happened, you know, uh, I can just tap that. And that was really, that was nice to know. Give me peace of mind. Yeah, I thought that that was something, again, another concept that I had just never thought about. But yes, um, emergency fund, you're right. If you didn't lose your job, 
but you still need the money, it, it wouldn't be available. But a lot of people worry, including myself, if you lose your job, what are you going to do? You need an emergency fund. And I just never realized that that 457 could actually serve you at that time, um, which is a big, it's a big plus. Well, that coupled with my home equity line of credit, I knew I had some funds I could get to. And that, that, that is peace of mind. Yep. So, uh, just transitioning to something a little lighter, not necessarily about money, but I heard you went to Davidson. So, we're, we're recording this on June 2nd. The finals are tonight and Steph Curry is playing. Are you a big Steph Curry fan? Yes, I really am. And I just read the article yesterday in Sports Illustrated and basically they were arguing he might be the most dominant player ever. Now, I've got my own thoughts on this. <laughs> And, I, you know, I was a basketball coach at, at Eccles County, and I used to tell my players before he broke out, I would say, guys, I'm just telling you. And I've seen a lot of basketball. I played against All-Americans and NBA players. I always told them, I said, Stephen Curry will make you doubt your own eyes. You know, when you see him live, like at the floor <laughs> level, uh, it, it's, it's unbelievable. And I'm talking about Stephen Curry in college. So, you know, the, I think that when it gets right down to it, what – Steph's great contribution to basketball is he proved that three is greater than two. And everyone is yeah. having to play a three-point dominant game. And if, you know, he and Clay Thompson, the way they can stroke it, it's just kind of like if they, they get to tee it up 10 to 12 times a game each and you're off, you're probably going to lose, even though you have a great post player. And so it really puts pressure on the other team to shoot threes. And if you know, you've seen a lot of the league is catching up, but I, I just kind of view that Stephen Curry revolutionized the game. Another thing I would I have to say here, and in the article yesterday in Sports Illustrated, it referred to the term gravity. He draws so much defensive attention. And I, I remember I would watch him in the pros, and I'm thinking, what would I scheme as a coach here? And I used to always just say, <laughs> I don't know. And, and, you know, hat tip to Cleveland Cavaliers that year they beat them. They played like three perfect games. I mean, they were miraculous games almost, and they did they did get them one time. But it's not easy, you know, uh, to, to to play like that. Stephen Curry is phenomenal. Yeah, and he's a nice guy. We'll say that I haven't met him. He's a, he's a he's a genuine person. Nice, nice. I got my money on Golden State. Um, they, I, I'm a big Heat fan, Miami Heat fan. Uh, just being here in Florida. And uh, we were we were so close to meet you guys in the in the finals, but you know since Boston won, I'll give them credit and about uh, still for the Golden State Warriors. I think they just got a great team. It, it's to me, it's clear, especially with Poole emerging. Ooh. I mean, this isn't a NBA podcast, but I just I just gotta you know talk a little basketball with you. Yeah, it's fun to watch him. I agree. You know, Poole is exceptional. Yeah, slithery. Exactly, exactly. So moving on, we're talking about college though, and. You said you have a son who is in preparation. He's 16 and he's preparing for college. Um, I think you mentioned off camera here that uh, he currently has some hours accredited towards uh, towards college. H- how are you doing that or how are you planning that college degree for him in the most cost-effective manner? Yes. Um, when the pandemic happened, a lot of us were on the computer, <laughs> me included. And somewhere along the line, I came across Sophia Learning, Sophia.org. And they they offer what are called ACE courses, um, American Council on Education. That's what ACE means. And so what the, the ACE courses, they follow a curriculum and they teach a course. Now, Sophia does not grant you credit, but universities 
many universities will take their their courses and give you credit for it. So I took like ancient Greek philosophers just to see what I thought. And, you know, it was open PDF files for the test and it's pass fail. You know, a lot of people could pass those. So I, I ended up, you know, I'm a little maniacal at times. And I, I basically did 68 credit hours in two months. I did two years of college in two months. And then I realized, well, look, my son's sitting here at home. And I got him to do a college readiness course. And he was getting ready to go into high school that year. So he just finished eighth grade. And then he took U.S. history and art history and things like that. And, you know, he did well in, in those courses. You know, when I say well, it made at least, you know, an 80-something to a 90-something. And uh, so basically, I just started bribing him to do those courses. So he, <laughs> I was paying him $25 a course. And, boy, he was working hard. And uh, But anyway, he now he has... <laughs> 70 credit hours on, he has a college transcript at Excelsior College in New York. We've sent all those ACE courses to that university where he has a transcript. So he's done over two years of college. So uh, our total cost have been, I would say, $500 for him to do all that. Wow. Yeah. So the plan is we're just going to get him through his core and have his electives done. And then so maybe during his senior, he can start taking some upper level courses if he wants. But um, he's probably going to graduate from that school in New York. They're very flexible on their credit. And they're, they're, they are accredited university. And he and I have talked about grad school down the line because, you know, I, my undergrad degree, I was not very mature like a lot of people do in undergrad. So I, my, my philosophy is like getting through a degree and then he'll kind of start figuring out what he's really interested in. If he wants to go to grad school, great. Maybe he wants to do certifications um, and, and work in the tech world. He can do that. So, But I just don't think you have to spend yeah. tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars on degrees. There's so many options out there now. Yep. And uh, yeah, I just I had to mention that because I thought that that was just fantastic. I mean, and again, you have that background of knowing what education is like. Uh, from being in education for your whole career. So you're essentially giving him a fantastic head start through college. And and yeah, you're right. It doesn't have to, he, he doesn't have to come out of college burdened with, uh, you know, like myself, over a hundred thousand in student loans. Um, that just sets you back so many years in your life. Well, and I, I will tell the listeners, I did write two blog posts on basically credit acquisition experiments that I did. And the first one um, talked about that, that my experience at Sophia. And there's another one I did. I did uh, two years of college in a month through some CLEP testing. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I know I'm a little crazy to do that. I get it. People are like, and, and you know, well, I'm not some super genius either because these are freshman, sophomore level courses. But I, I took 17 CLEP tests over 32 days. And, um, I got, I think it was 66 credit hours. So it, that is that's awesome. insane. But, you know, I, I, yeah. I did this so I could write about it and, and tell people because it's an option, you know. So, yeah, I, right, I have right. done over five years of college through, like, alternative education. And I tallied it up, my total expenses <laughs> for the five years of college. And this is an honest estimate, about $714. <laughs> that is incredible. I mean... The, the difference in, in that between the regular tuition, I, I can't imagine, but... I think higher, higher ed is going to send an assassin to, to quiet me. <laughs> yeah, we need to keep this on the low. For only our podcast <laughs> listeners here, um, this is why you guys listen. This is, you're getting the secret stuff here. 
But um, I am going to link all that information up, the 457, the free money posts as well. And uh, of course, the college uh, hack that we that you just uh, d- uncovered here. Um, so, Jerry, thank you so much for taking some time out and, and sharing all this. You're a wealth of knowledge and uh, I really appreciate everything you've you've taught us, including myself. So, what's coming up with for you uh anything exciting where can first where can listeners find you and then also what you got coming up yeah i blog infrequently at millionaireeducator.com i prefer doing podcast interviews these days it's more fun for me but i do have some things in the hopper my biggest focus i find a lot of my mental space is going to directing my son and kind of coaching him through his college work you know being that he is 16 think back to when you were 16 and the thought of doing college is probably not very uh, high up in your list of priorities. So the big thing, we're, we're renovating our house a little bit here. That should be done in the next month or so. And then we're going to, like I said, Ecuador and Mexico to check it out. Um, my my wife and uh, son and I, we're, we're residents of Mexico, so we can go and stay as long as we want. Uh, we always have a nice time there. And when I'm out too long, I start to really miss it. So uh, we're really excited to go travel and relive our Mexican experience. Awesome. Yeah. I think a lot of people are after the couple last two years that we've had, I think a lot of people are itching to get back on, on, on a plane and go somewhere new or, or back to, you know, their roots. Uh, I just recently took a trip back to uh, Philadelphia where I met my wife. Um, and it was just, it was just fantastic. Just reminiscing a little bit, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I wish you luck and in your travels. And, and again, thank you so much for taking some time here and uh, we'll catch you next time, hopefully in season three. All right. What a great episode. I hope you guys agree. And again, thank you, Jerry, for taking the time to come on the show and share those amazing tips for us. And a lot of the resources that are shared are going to be in the show notes below. I went ahead and linked those all together. So you guys can take out, uh, take a look at his website as far as his uh, free money posts, which everybody loves his post about hacking college, and his post about the seven reasons to love your 457 plan. So what jumped out about this episode to me was just the fact that he was using this four, this 457 account to essentially control his tax rate. And what was amazing is he was using it almost as an emergency fund. Of course, he had a few other options as well. Uh, but yeah, he was using it as close to an emergency fund, but also as an FU money account and also in, uh, in the ability to lower his tax rate to essentially 10% or to whatever he wanted uh, is fantastic. So I thought that part was amazing. And again, this 457 account, if you want to check with HR or your employer or future employers to see if they have it, do your own research. Of course, this isn't financial advice. This isn't tax advice either. I'm not an accountant and I'm not a financial planner. However, go ahead and take a look at these accounts because they can help you as seen by this this episode and this uh, example. They can help you basically double your retirement savings and double your uh, or lessen your tax burden by double as well because this is all pre-tax. So, Go ahead and check to see if your employer offers an account like this. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. But if they do, do your research and then carefully consider if this is something that you guys want to take advantage of as well, especially teachers. I, I know a lot of teachers listening listen to the show, and I think that that will be something that can help them along the way as well. Um, and I wasn't, I'm not a teacher, and I 
had access or still have access to this 457 account at my employer. Uh, so you don't have to be a teacher. That's why I say go ahead and check just to make sure you might find something uh, amazing in that uh, HR department. And you never would have thought that, huh? But anyways, thank you guys for listening. This is going to be uh, that's going to wrap up the show again. Subscribe to the show. Share it with anybody that you think it might help. And thank you guys for listening. So until next week. Bye.